Hi, welcome to this week's episode of Fighting Words. Joe, you got, uh, you like, that's not a fighting posture. You're like vulnerable. You're turned to the side, like if I wanted to assault you right now. How you doing today? I'm doing okay. Is this loud enough? Yeah. Hey, I have uh, some preliminary questions for you. What's your favorite candy? Do you like candy? You got a sweet tooth? Yeah, I have a sweet tooth, but... Um, you don't have a favorite? I'm not a big candy fan. Oh, what does that play out? What does your sweet tooth play out? Ice cream? Pastries. Pastries. What kind? Give me something here. Cinnamon rolls. Ooh, like... Cream cheese, frosting. Oh, that's rich. Like homemade? Who makes those? Uh, I, no, usually from a... Well, you homemade, but at a, at a, at a coffee shop or right, a right, bakery right, right. or something. Okay, that's good to know. I love bakery. Yeah. Okay. It's so you, what do you weigh? Like a buck twenty-five? Soaking wet no, and wearing boots. I weigh. I weigh like one sixty-five. But you can eat whatever. You like never watch what you eat. Do I you? never watch. Oh what my I eat. gosh, that's a spiritual. Gift. I never have. I've always weighed one sixty-five. <laughs> he was born. <laughs> I came out. I came out fat. Yeah, and then you just stretched. <laughs> like Gumby. Yeah, and then I just stretched out. <laughs> Wow, you can just eat pastries like, wow, that's incredible, man. I have like I one really, bite. Like we'll get our kids dessert. And I'm like, give me one bite. Like, oh, one bite of ice cream. Oh yeah, I eat. I don't eat that much, obviously, but I could. I guess it wouldn't make much difference. I I don't know. Yeah. Do you experience hunger? Do you hunger? Yeah. Yeah. I don't. You never. Hunger? I have to go like three days without eating to feel hunger. No, 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 no. I'm hungry. I'm hungry after like an hour of eating. <laughs> you just. Go, I don't. I. I have like the psychological drive to want to eat. I'm like, oh, that sounds. But a physical thing. I. I think for years I didn't know what that really, oh, really? felt like, and then I fasted for like three days once, and on that third day I was like, oh, I think that's it. Well, that's why I fasting is kind of hard for me because. I get hungry so quickly. Like, I'm hungry right now, and I just ate lunch. Well, see, it's hard for me for the opposite reason, because I'm not suffering. I often go a whole day without eating, and it's, oh, not, it's yeah. not a struggle. Right. You know? So, I got to fast for, like, a month. Mm. No, I don't think I could do that. I've got another question for you. If you could pick any race to be, what would it be? Well, that's complicated. Is it? You got a book with you. I want you to answer you the question. You mean ethnicity? Any sure. Ethnicity? Eth- What's the difference? Educate us. I'm not, I don't know what the difference is. <clears throat> well, some people say that... There's that, one race, that, the human race. That race, is, yeah, sure. is, is a socially constructed reality. Okay, fair enough. Which includes culture and ethnicity. But ethnicity also includes culture, so... I don't know. There's different people that define. Why don't, don't 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 find the words, man? Just you know what I mean. What race? What kind of people group would you? I if, you think, could, if you could start again and be like, man, I'd like this. This would be fun. Would I be? I um. I've always liked. Uh, I think I'd be Arab. Oh. Okay. Like Jesus. Jesus is an Arab. <laughs> Are Arab Semites? 
Um, they're closely related. Yeah, they're closely they're... related. I, I guess I couldn't give you the exact answer to that. Okay. So is that why? Because Jesus Arabic is a Semitic language. Okay. So, so is that why? Because of Jesus or because no, of I, I the don't oil? Know. I don't know. I just I've always been fascinated with Arab culture. Mm. Yeah. So, you know. Yeah. All pro, the pro-Israel people aren't going to like me for that, but. Well. well, there's Arabic Christians. Well, yeah, there are, but, you know, if you're pro-Israel, you don't care about them. Yeah. Um, I'd pick, I don't even know what this, this is a nationality. These are, fight, these are fighting words. I'd be, I'd want to be Brazilian. That's like a nationality, but there's like a certain type of ethnicity that's like a majority there, and it's like a mix of mm. like African and yeah. Latino and white or like something. Like Afro-Brazilian? Like this. Yeah. Mm-hmm. It's like a... It's like a like a wonderful mix. Yeah, you know. Mostly, I just wish I was more tan. Um, I get really tan in the in the summer, mm. but then I go really really white, like pink, <laughs> in the winter. I don't know what's going on there. So these are taboo questions. These are taboo questions. I used to think I I've told Steph this. I used to think I'd marry an Arab woman. Oh, instead you married instead a I married very the complete white. opposite. Yes. Like the Norwegian princess. Yeah. Blonde, fair skin, blue yeah. eyes. That's God's way of making you suffer. I mean, we've talked about if we wanted to move to Pakistan or something. I'm not sure we could. No, there's too many women there that you would be what? tempted by. <laughs> well, well, there aren't very Pakistanis are not necessarily Arab. Oh, that's but, true. Um, but yeah. Uh, but why not? Why did you say you Steph couldn't marry the kids would stick out. Oh. Yeah, yeah. People Quite need glasses. Quite a bit. I could get by if I was tan. Yeah. If I grew my beard out, you know, I could get by. I've had yeah. people tell me that, but mm. not Steph. No. Why would she need to get by? Well, because there's racism. Mm. To be avoided at all costs. Mm-hmm. You're saying that she needs to be comfortable. You need a there's nice a big of, bedroom. There's also what they call skin tax. Say that again. Skin tax. Oh, like an actual tax? Well, it's it's just they're just making you pay bribes. Mm. If you're like if, when you're touring, when you're, you're a, a tourist or something. If you're a frang. If you live there. Yeah, like in Thailand, we'd have to pay what they call the uh, a foreigner tax or a skin tax. Now they call it skin tax, but what if it was another? Because so Thailand's Asian. What if it was uh, Indonesians living there? Is it all foreigners or is it straight up Westerners, whites? Um. It depends at how wealthy or how much they think you can pay. And okay. <clears throat> so it's, it's really about economic uh, yeah. advantage, which maybe in that area so, tends yeah, to fall on the Westerners. Indonesians too, but, but they would say there's a different, you know, that Indonesians are ethnically different, so it's still like skin tax. Yeah. Yep. Um, you got this book called Being White. Um, not being white, but being white. Be, hey, we have video. You want to show it to the camera here? Oh, we do? Yeah, yeah. So, being white. So, are you trying to just get better at it? Yeah. It's <laughs> are you struggling? Are you finding yourself not exerting a, enough dominance? Well, I'm wearing and, a Cubs hat, so I'm doing pretty good, right? Yeah. Um, is that a white thing? Yeah. Like, if you go to Chicago, like, yeah, is yeah. it? Yeah, if you're a Cubs fan, you're, you're, you're a yuppie. Well, so is that the is it like Red Sox fans are like more 
poor. Red Sox fans. Red, no, you White Sox. White Sox. Oh, yeah. that's Boston. Yeah, Chicago White Sox. Oh uh, yeah, 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 yeah. North South Side Divide. Wow. Oh yeah, that's a big deal. Okay, so this yeah. like a signal for you. That's oh, like it's a, a, it's is a signal. If you're a Cubs fan, I mean. Hmm. So did you write the book being white? I could have. <laughs> <laughs> why? Why do you have this book, Joe? Uh, because I was. And why is the it, white puzzle it was, piece? It was. Sorry. It was given out for free to intervarsity staff. Okay. Along with, they always send you books when you're on staff with intervarsity, and they send you the intervarsity publishing. Books. But you haven't read it. How but long? They ago send. You? They send you the books they want you to be thinking about. I mean, they could have sent me any book from intervarsity sure, publishing, right, but they right. sent yeah. me this one. Yeah, yeah, it's propaganda, right? Now, why on the cover? Like why on the cover is the white puzzle piece separated from all the other ones? Is well, that kind of the point? I have no idea. There's a message there. And it's sitting way there's above. A, there's a purple puzzle piece. There's a green. <laughs> That's the race I'd want to be. The purple grimace. Oh, yeah. The white is Like grimace right, and right, Thanos. Right. Separated out. Freaking Oscar the Grouch. Um, yeah, so this is uh, it's written by uh, Paula Harris and Doug Schaup. And uh, John Perkins gives a little forward to it, or a, uh, a an endorsement on it. And um, <laughs> I love promoting books I haven't read, you know? It's just a great thing. Yeah. So uh, it goes through three stages. Now, John Perkins said everyone should read this. Yeah, he did. He said everybody, Being White is a book that everyone should read. It's a book that whites in particular need to read to have a better understanding of the struggles of minorities. Hmm. Yeah, fair enough. But see, this is a book, and I've read other things that are similar to the to this book. I'm assuming based on what I've read for the chapter headings. But um, making and keeping friendships with people of color. Going, How many pages is that chapter? That's six pages. Okay, so that can't be that hard. Going deeper in cross cultural friendships. Okay, a few pages on that. Yeah, that's uh, seven pages. You could you could really sharpen up in about a week. Can white boys hoop? <laughs> they can't jump. That's ten pages. Um, yeah. So it's a uh, books like this. I think uh, can be helpful. So yeah, especially in our context at Redeemer, you know, since we're mostly white. Um, that's the context we're in, right? That's most of who we I, are. I would. That's true. Although I think it can be misleading, um, uh, because you could look at Redeemer and say, "Yeah, it's a lot of white." I mean, it's majorly white, way majorly white. But that doesn't necessarily mean something about people's um, multi-ethnic experience or networks outside of. Right. So you're white, right? Your family's white. But you've had a lot of cross-cultural experience. Right. I would say I have, too. And I think there's... Um, it's sometimes this stuff's hidden in people's stories that you don't know. Oh, yeah, for sure. Know? For sure. In their relationships in there. But they're still white. Yeah. No, but, what, but, but what I'm saying is that if the point of this book is to say... You really should read oh, this to expand your mind. Right. It's like, well, there's a bit of an assumption of where my mind is. Right. It's right, kind of right, like the idea of like, we should listen before we speak. Like, sure, there's something to that. But like, well, we talked about this. Like, have I listened enough? How do you know how much I've listened? How do you know? So in general, yeah, fine. Read the book. Right. And if, uh, if a book is put out by InterVarsity Press, does that mean it's, it's from a Christian framework? 
always? Yes. Okay. Yeah, it's a Christian publisher, so yeah, it'll always be coming from a Christian framework. Mm-hmm. Now, of course, that doesn't mean every you know there's a variety of opinions on different issues among Christians. So, yeah, you know okay. that's a good that brings up an interesting topic about publishing houses. You can uh, you can tell a lot about a book just from who publishes it. So, for example, I'm just gonna be honest: Crossway Publishers is not gonna put out a lot of great material on multiculturalism or racism and how to engage they're going to put out some i mean um i think crossway published bloodlines by piper maybe i'm wrong well they'll Uh, publish anything by piper right so it's not something against crossway it just means but but intervarsity they're going to have tons of books on these issues because they are a campus ministry and so their publishing house kind of follows they're not the same organization. They're they're connected, um, but the the university Christian ministry on college campuses engages in all these issues. I mean, you, you can't be on a university campus and not engage these issues of culture. So, the publishing house is also somewhat academic and and in, engages these these issues in our culture. Um, you think about a publisher like Baker Bookhouse. They're going to be highly academic. Um, these are all Christian publishers. Or you think about Erdman's is another academic, and it's going to be engaging even more in in different like sociological issues and stuff. So I, I always like to sit, you know, help people think through how they think about a book if they haven't read it yet, or just uh, an author, or like what's the context, what's the the angle that's that they're coming from, because. Um, Everybody has an angle. Everybody has a context. So when you think about publishers, that's always interesting to me. For example, Crossway predominantly is Calvinist. Like there's a, it's mostly a reformed publishing house. Like they're not going to put out a lot that isn't leaning that direction. Um, you know, so those are things you think about. Tyndale House is, is another one. You know, like publishing i think it's fascinating to think about publishing houses how they come out how they choose what books to write yeah this is fascinating um, how they how they choose what to put out there like university press i would say pushes the envelope the most in the more evangelical world of publishers i think university press probably pushes the envelope on the cultural issues a lot yeah yeah this is uh, fascinating maybe we should do a whole podcast on that we'll just <laughs> we'll get a chart We'll get a chart. We'll look at all the different publishers. Which ones have gone off the deep end? Which, <laughs> Which ones are teetering <laughs> on the brink? Um, yeah. Well, let's cut to the chase. So we're doing a lot of uh, podcast episodes this this season uh, just because, again, I feel like I need to talk. Um, some of that's probably not good, but some of it is good. We're pastors here at Redeemer, and we want to teach and help people think and, hey, poke holes in some of the stuff we're saying. Uh, but we want to be part of the conversation, and you may be wondering where we land on some of these things. So and we've asked for you to submit questions, and we've gone through some of those, and we'll continue. At some point, do you feel equipped to have a conversation on critical race theory? No, right, I'm going to bring someone. No. I'm going to bring an external no. expert in here. Um, yeah. I'm, I'm, I don't know if I'm... Yeah, I'm equipped enough to be dangerous, so I need someone else. <clears throat> we'll do that with someone else. Um, yeah, don't do that with I, me. I'd like to talk about that. Um, so, but I have a, a handful of questions yeah. um, that were submitted. So here's one here. How does what we know about the human about human nature 
affect the way we think about restructuring, possibly defunding and reducing police systems? Okay, I'm going to, there's a little more to the question. I'll get there. One point of clarification, this whole idea of defund the police, it's, it's tricky and it's confusing because people mean different things. If you go way, way progressive, radical, even left, defund the police means get rid of them, abolish. Like, I mean, there's articles you can go out there like, yes, we literally mean abolish it, get rid of it. It's a cancer. Like, and that's been their, their, uh, a lot of people's, a lot of groups' mantras. Um, then you have adjacent groups like people that lean a little more left and maybe they're a little more centrist or somewhere on that spectrum who pick up on that language and use the same language but don't mean that they mean downsize it right and I think it I I just want to you know in one sense you can't get away from that but I, I have seen some posts out there where they're like mocking people for like well duh of course we don't mean defund like Mm-hmm. You know, it's like, well, that's just understand why that might be confusing the way it's being phrased, and it is, it is borrowed. That's part of the, that language is actually borrowed from a, a further left position. There are people that want to abolish prisons, abolish police, and in fact, not just left. There are people on the right. So if I, I listen to some libertarian guys who are like, finally, we have some common ground. Ultra libertarians who say we need to abolish the state. If you're a libertarian, like you have a big problem. Uh, think of anarcho-capitalist type libertarians. They have a big problem with the police state, and they want to see the the establishment prisons and and police dismantled. So this isn't necessarily a right or left issue. It's a kind of how far out are, out are you on the wings? So uh, defund the police. What do you think of that as a um, possible solution? It, in in terms of actually abolishing, like getting rid of police officers. Yeah, I mean, I don't know what the alternative is. I haven't read enough on this. What is the alternative to not have police officers at all of any kind? Uh, a strong mix of proactive stuff like community, mental health, uh, social investment, poverty alleviation that kind of thing so kind of think of like the more the positive social yeah so you know, when but i guess so when when somebody's breaking into your house what's what's the answer to that who do you call what do you do well that's the question isn't it well yeah that is the question so <laughs> that's what i'm asking yeah yeah well <laughs> what do we do we're, like what's the i don't i really don't know what's the alternative so are they saying we'd have a system that Hey, your neighbors are so awesome, and they're so buff, and they're so able to help you. They're just maybe walk eventually over and help or well, no, eventually. Like, the, I guess like, I think it's a it's a bit utopian, right? It's, there's a sense there's of there's got to be some sense of idealism in there. Yeah, yeah. If we if we invest enough in the community, these things won't happen. And again, that's that's frankly humanistic. Like it's a it's a and here's the it's, question: saying given what we know about dep- depravity, oh uh, right, uh, I would say it's it's an untenable. I'm I'm more than willing and agree with yeah having conversations about way scaling back the right. power of the state you know um, right I guess I find myself kind of libertarian in that way it's probably an overreach but biblically uh, God sends people with swords to restrain evil now right. the problem is that those people also have evil and it can get corrupt so we need to police the police and we need to possibly talk about restructuring and defunding in different ways but complete abolishment I think is not tenable in this side of <laughs> the right. apocalypse right so 
Right. Um, yeah, I, I guess I... My, my take would be human nature. Yeah, there's, there's a total depravity in the flesh. So that means apart from the renewed man, the renewed person, it is, you are totally depraved um, in the flesh. So that means we're always going to have issues with the systems that we have, with the people that are in those systems. Um, so I guess it's, yeah, I don't know what the alternative is. I was talking to my sister-in-law about this over the weekend. Her, her, her brother is, um, I think he's chief of police or something like that in, in um, well, I'm not going to say too much information here. So, but just, he, he's high, he's high up in the police in a, in a certain community around here. And, um, you know her her response to that too was um whatever you do it's gonna there's gonna be issues when okay so we don't have police but whatever we have is going to be corrupted whatever there is it's still gonna be it's gonna still have issues so that's kind of where i go is yeah i mean she's not a believer by the way but um are you familiar with Chaz? some people want to refer to it as chop it's this capitol hill uh, autonomous zone in Seattle. Ye- okay, yeah, I've heard something about this. Okay, it's a group of seven square blocks or so yeah. that have been taken over by some of the more progressive, you know, part of this movement, and you know they've taken over City Hall and they've they've declared some of them. You know, it depends on who you talk to. They've declared you know we're seceding from the union. We're, we're now an autonomous zone, and then of course there's people that are saying no, 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 that's not fair. We want to be called Chop the Capitol Hill. Oh, uh, something protesters like. They're saying you're too far gone, you know. So even in there, there's some. Yeah. Well, but one of the first things they did is put up a wall to mark yeah. the zone, and then they have. I saw a video today of a preacher man in there who was obviously not welcome, and they physically removed him from the zone. Like, uh, yeah, there's a there's a zone. These are in different cities around the world. There's one in Copenhagen. It might have been like the main. It's kind of the main one. Like tourists go there because it's so well known. There's a zone exactly like that. Yeah, in Copenhagen, Denmark. And it's walled off, and there's there are rules. They self police, um, but the city rec- yeah the city the city of but they police they police and they have their own recognized so uh, elders so to speak in the community that do the governing, and they have their own charters and whatever. And the city of Copenhagen recognizes them as being that way. I do think there's something to be said there. Like so, in that model. Assuming you still have an enforcement agency, but it's local. And I do think that's part of what the rift and challenge in today's culture is that you have an imported police force. Not in terms of they're still from the same city and state, but maybe from different neighborhoods and different class. And and so there's this, even though that's not necessarily inherently evil, I could see why that would raise tensions, right? You have this, it seems like a policing force. If the majority of the community is of one race or minority, and then the majority of the enforcers are from the outside, it's hard to, that trust issue is hard to, so that's one of the reforms that's, you know, proposed. I don't know how reasonable that is, you know, how many minorities are going into policing and that kind of thing, but I could see why that's a challenge, right? Like, Imagine external elders coming into our church and, you know, trying to exert authority. You know, that's very Baptist. They go, no, 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 no. Like, we have our own elders, right? So, like, maybe we could be a little more Baptistic with policing, right? Yeah. Like, local indigenous uh, leadership development for police. <laughs> and I did, so one of my friends who's, you know, uh, 
on on a Facebook friend. I don't want to overstate the case. I love the guy, and uh, but I don't want to overstate the case. But he's a, he's a buddy. He's on Facebook, and he posted a this this chart. It's a budget of a you know city budget, and uh, it has a you know it's something like thirty million dollars total, and like twenty million of it is for police, and then the next smallest thing is street maintenance, and it's like four million, and it goes down from there. So there's this uh, real skewed, you know, heavily. Uh, invested in police enforcement. Now, the question is, is that right? Is that the right proportion? Now, I don't know, but I think it's fair to ask the question, right? Which is what I think a lot of defund the police are saying. They're saying, they're saying, you know, again, more moderate. So they're not saying, no, of course, we need some kind of enforcement. It's just way off. We don't need 90% or 70% or 60%. We need maybe 20%. And I think that's a fair conversation to have. I certainly... Again, because of I'm a Christian and because of my view on depravity, I know every system needs constantly reformed. Right? You never arrive at a static. We're constantly doing that at church. Like, man, how can we do this better? How we we're self-reflecting and going, how do we police ourselves, right? And 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 reform. Um, I'm certain there's no system out there that is not in need of it being assessed, um, mm. uh, being reformed in some way. And maybe that would mean in some places increasing the police budget. I don't know. Be open to that, um, but let me let me kind of continue down this uh, this question that our member wrote. Right, um, so we have depravity on both sides, lawlessness and abuse of power. So that's an assumption. I think that's a helpful. You know, if we get into what 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 the challenge here is, we get into like who's good and who's bad, and it's like police bad or you know, certain groups of people that tend toward crime bad. Like, that's, you know, that's that's what she's saying, I think, is balanced. Like, there's lawlessness in the world all over the place. And that is also in the authority structures, right? And um, if you just come across as, I mean, we know police, and they're in our church, and if you just say, police bad, it's like, wow, I can see why that's just really... <laughs> harsh offensive blanket statement this guy may, may doing his and it maybe he's part of a system that needs reformed and but that's the way sometimes it's you know i've seen posts out there that say there are no good cops if you're part of a bad system you're a bad cop and it's like well then there's not a good anybody you know right. what i mean it's just not helpful ways to talk i think if you sat down with police officers and say hey do you think there's any way that the department can be improved like they'd probably say yeah um, oh yeah, you know. But if you just come out and say, "Man, you're a fascist pig," and you know you're a racist oppressor that needs to be abolished, they're already they're just put on the defense, and this stuff's playing out on the streets. This is why we see this. So depravity on both sides. Could you imagine a good balance of law enforcement and social services to address mental health related concerns, de-escalation, etc.? Can you imagine that, Joe? That's the question. <laughs> Can you imagine a better balance? I, I guess I could always imagine. It's always possible, right? I can a, only imagine. <laughs> that's, that's right. You can't achieve. <laughs> when I think that's where some people land in the conversation is they go, hey, yeah, but this is about as good as it's going to get. Where do you want to live? You want to go to China? You know, and you get these really extreme examples. You want to, or you want to go to Norway? Norway has zero, you know, like maybe like four police killings in the past 20 years or something like that. Like, um, so... Where's the better balance? I think 
if the question is, could you again, let me generalize the question. Could you? Could I imagine that there's possibility for reform? Yeah. Yeah, say that again. I couldn't. Could you imagine a good balance of law enforcement and social services? Those are the opposite, oh, right? Oh, yeah, yeah. To address mental health related concerns, de escalation, et cetera. Well, wait a minute. To address mental health and what? And de escalation, et cetera. I, I, I wouldn't get too. I think she's just saying, she's saying that we obviously need. Uh, something to address lawlessness but there's also abuse of power and there's also depravity can i imagine with all these complexities is there can we imagine a good balance sure i mean there's always yeah a a better balance to strike but um yeah i just think we overplay our hand in terms of being humanistic we're just we're generally overly optimistic about the about humanity and about also we are we overgeneralize contexts. So, for example, you know, defunding the police in it's kind of like parenting. I mean, in Norway, which parenting skills are you using the most? Well, it depends on your children and what they're like and how many you have and do they have other issues? Do they I mean, the context really matters when you're talking about when you're talking about governing. And when you're talking about leading and policing and helping, okay, you know, you're on dangerous ground. Uh oh. What do you? So how does that? So give me more specific. Sure, everybody's going to agree with that. So how does that? How do you see that playing well, out? What is the particular well, context that you're referring to, and what are the implications? Well, for example, like you know, if you're talking about, well, you know, we just don't need the police in um, in general. It's like, well, what does that mean? Like, what, we have to have an example of. How, where, where, in what way is that? Is that gonna? That's gonna play out differently in certain parts of the country than other parts of the country. I think that you have to think about that. You know, it's not just a generalized theory of do we need a police force or not. It's well, what's it? In what places are the police? I mean, police. Uh, being a police officer in in Minneapolis, for example, is extremely different than being a police officer in Marion, Iowa. Now, it's not totally different, but there's so many different things that a police officer in each of those towns is going to encounter. Right. And then it then it then they therefore they train their police of, uh, officers differently. Right. To some degree, not every degree, because of their context. Right. And so all you're almost doing a different job. Right. It's it's kind of like school teachers. I mean, if you yeah. want to teach, yeah. you want to teach in Echo Hill. Ask Brianna Young. Like, or do you want to teach where she does? Like, it's a very different experience. Right. You're training these people to do different things. Certain kinds of people are going to be better in diff- in in one or the other. So I think what uh, maybe part of the challenge is that. So let's say you're in a more poverty stricken uh, neighborhood or part of town. And therefore, because you know, crime is a derivative of that; it's part of it. Um, there's going to be more, you know, crime, even violent crime, and things like that. I think what people would maybe affirm that, but then say, "Yeah, but there's been too much of a, a reaction to that presence, and this is like this constant escalation." You can picture it, picture, picturing it playing out in a family. Like maybe you have a kid who is kind of a, an aggressor, 
and you just play the card of like, all right, you want to go there? We're just going to escalate, and you escalate until you're an abusive parent, right. you know. And they're saying, yeah, maybe there is a, a the context is different, but that doesn't necessarily mean that we need more show of force. We need more. Um, it's kind of like a, a masculine feminine type approach here. Like, are we going to take the more masculine approach and just be, offer beat downs and like control and like lock people down, or are we going to take the more feminine approach and like we're right. going to reason and um, and you know speak to the heart and do take the mental health approach? And I think people are just generally saying. And I would say the people that are being most fair and balanced are saying we need those are both needed tools, but the the masculine thing is way overplayed right now, and we need and I don't know I don't know what the balance is, so I don't know the information. It's complicated. It's um, way complicated. It's way complicated. Um, but we need to we need to back off on that masculine approach. And we need to insert some of the, and maybe if you don't like those terms, masculine, feminine, whatever, the, the, the law and order approach versus the mental health, wellness, and being approach. You know, what is the balance? I don't know. I'd, it, whoever figured it out, I'd love to know. And I'm not saying don't reform, but I'm saying that's where the reform is, is seeing that there's a tension between these two things. Right. And then, and then seeking a way forward. I think we all need Barney Fife. You know, if we if every police officer could be Barney Fife, I I don't know. Well, if we all lived in Mayberry, is what you're saying? That's I, the thing. I yeah, did right? hear a guy out of you know, kind of progressive guy talking about that, and that's literally what he was saying. It's like, man, cops are why can't they just be like that? It's like they're <laughs> dealing with diff- different situations. That's right. right. So the thi- that's right. Why is Barney Fife the way Barney Fife is? Because he lives in Mayberry, right? And. You know what? Here's the other. Well, in that place. Well, maybe Mayberry's the way it is because Barney Fife is there. You know, yeah, right? Dang. But here's the thing white people in general, I mean, how do, I mean, there doesn't get, I mean, that's a great example of white culture oh. is, is, um, gosh, what's the name of the show? That he, uh, Andy Rooney and Andy Griffith show. Andy Griffith show. Um, so the Andy Griffith show is is is, is white culture. Um, what it reflects the values of white culture. It reflects. Uh, they don't feel the, like they need the idealism. police reform, right? It's it's the idealism. It's the it's everything's fine. Of course, when was that show made? In the middle of the civil rights era, <laughs> you know, isn't it from the fifties and the sixties? That show. So, you know, again, context. What do you what what are you looking at? What actually are you? Addressing, it's it varies so widely. You know your neighborhood, Joe. It sounds like you're saying, man, we need to go in there and offer some the, beat downs. If you're on the beat in this neighborhood and you're on the beat in my neighborhood, well, you better know the difference, right? You better know what you're dealing because it's very different. Um, it's just a, it's just, it's just way different, and that it that plays into how we how we train police officers and who they are and who works better in better situations and so this is where yeah i I just i i I understand the polarization and that's what happens in the world i I would hope that christians grow in their nuance and ability to take in big theological concepts like she brought up depravity like it has to be in the systems and this is again this is something i keep pushing because um i do think as a whole as i've talked with evangelical white people there's this kind of i don't think there's a a a reckoning, uh, sufficient reckoning, not everybody, but in general, a sufficient reckoning with the fact that there is systemic corruption. Um, 
there has to be. It's it's in Congress. It's in City Hall. It's in um, police departments. It's in fire departments. Frankly, it's in the water department. There's all, and so, but when that plays out with people with sticks and guns and cages, it looks different, mm-hmm. right? When there's corruption mm-hmm. at the water department, you get billed too much. You know, things fall between through the cracks. You don't get the repairs you need. When that corruption plays out again, like I said, in in and really the front lines of conflict, and we have weapons and man and the ability to incarcerate people and years of of uh, animosity being built. Like there, there is corruption now identifying it. So here's some police. So what are the specific demands, right? Um, I think I downloaded, so it's gonna vary place by place, but I have, I believe here, a list, if I can find it, of specific demands, um, and this is for Cedar Rapids. Um, boy, uh, it's probably on my phone, but I can find it online, um, right? Because what are the specific demands? Like, you do have to get specific, and this is where I don't have the education or the experience to go, well, okay, let's say we are trying to seek a better balance. What is that? What are the things you're asking for? And what is the response? So, like, one of the things has been, you know, get rid of uh, qualified immunity. You familiar with this? It's the idea that a police officer cannot be held personally liable at least in a civil suit he can't be sued right for his mm-hmm. personal actions and the argument is uh from the left is that that is an unfair uh advantage you know it's a it's an absence of a restriction that may communicate to you hey i can just be a little more a little more free in this right like and uh and so there's a there's a specific demand this should be gotten rid of now they're going to debate about it, I'm sure. and um, But that's one example of an actual, an actionable plan, right? Something to move toward, uh, toward balance. Um, so I'm going to pull up, uh, if I can find the, oh, I know where I saw it. Um, it's on Facebook. Um, while I look for that, here's... A little more uh, follow up on the question. It's, it takes a little different turn, but have you watched Thirteenth on Netflix yet? I found it very illuminating into systems of oppression, things I never learned in school. For example, the war on drugs, having connections to intentional disproportion and detainment of black men. Um, something I'm turning over. Have you seen that? No, but we were planning to watch it. Maybe we'll watch it tonight. Uh, yeah. So I did watch it. Um, I don't remember a lot about it, but again, I, I, I just come back to very simple, big theological pegs, man. Of course, there's oppression. Now, where is it, and how does that manifest? And that's Thirteenth is a documentary that basically uh, lays out the, the the argument for a a high school to prison school to prison pipeline, right? That there's this. Um, how all the systems fail, mostly young black men, and why they end up disproportionately in prison, and how there's poor for-profit prisons, and whether or not that's right. When you have a for-profit prison, now people are incentivized to fill the prisons, build more prisons. It's like, okay, wow, we need to talk about that. Should there be for-profit prisons? You know, like, is it possible that when people's 
livelihood is tied to having prisons for even growing that they may make decisions that would be uh, that would benefit them at the disadvantage of someone else of course <laughs> right so what's the solution government prisons well now their money you know they want money they want budget and that's where you go you know far left or right they go abolish the prisons right get rid of it and uh joe it's almost like we need like a new heavens and a new earth or something and that's where i think it's tough like i so as a christian let me ask you this you can see the problem being so immense that you go oh come lord jesus come like Mm -hmm. geez Mm -hmm. but the challenge then to that is like okay but you're just gonna hold you know hold up in your house and pray for jesus to come and 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 not seek reform well you (laughs) know Not seek improvement, not seek improvement in your city, in the world. Well, that's and, what we're good at. We do do that. Okay. Yeah. Should we? Well, not everybody does that. There's people out there no, that are active. I know, and, I know. Uh, but in general, I'd say the American... African Americans. What, what's yeah, wrong with Americans? Americans? Um, the Americans. Well, it's my context. That's what I know. Uh, I'm sure it happens everywhere. It's it's t- it's people of ooh. privilege not having to deal with the problem, <laughs> right? Whether they be white or black or wherever they are, that they have. It's kind of like not. It's not my problem. I'm yeah. home. I'm not feeling this. The cops are generally NIMBY. Not in my backyard. Yeah. So, NIMBY. Uh, yeah, NIMBY. Um, not in my backyard. For those of the you, 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 for those of you that don't know what that means, it just means, yeah, if it doesn't, I don't want it to affect me, and I'll make sure it doesn't, not part of my problem, at least. But um, I found the seven we demands. But anyway, go ahead. I'm asking you, how do you oh, deal yeah. with that tension between, like, gosh, it's so insane that what are we going to do? I just think about the context of Scripture, and I think about how God's people in Scripture are not, they are under some kind of oppression so often, so... The Roman Empire in the New Testament is, I mean, what are you going to do, reform the Roman Empire? No, but we have avenues to do that here. That's the difference. Well, I know, but what I mean is, how does Scripture, because we're talking about how do we, how do we, man, this is a biblical interpretation issue, partly, when you read the Bible, and let's just say the New Testament right now, when you read that, who is it talking to? Because that matters for, the its, church. for its application to you. Okay. Doesn't I'm not okay. So this is this is how to interpret the Bible in a, in a way that's I think helpful. Let's knock this out. And so you 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 go. This is Clowney's triangle. Okay. So you're going from the scripture passage, and then you you have its you have its historical um, context. What was it meaning to those it was written to in that time, and what was going on, and what was the background? So, in terms of politics and all, it's, you got the Roman Empire, and and they're over this whole region that these people are within, and that creates all kinds of tensions. So, First Peter, for example, there they've been there's these uh, believers they've been some of them um, cast out of Rome and dispersed throughout different parts of Asia Minor. And they're, they're in these new communities that don't accept them because they're an outsider. So now they've been cast out of their home, and now they're in a different home that doesn't want them. So they're exiles. And Peter's writing to them about, well, who are you? Well, you are, especially if you're Gentiles, because 
in Rome, they just cast out Jews, but they didn't know the difference necessarily between a, a Christian Jew and a non-Christian Jew. So they just threw out all these people that were Jews. Well, and then some of them are also these Christians that aren't even Jewish. They're just they're just Christians. They're they're following they're Gentiles that follow Jesus. And now they're in these other communities, and they are. If they're a Gentile, they don't even have this Jewish identity to, to, to be a part of. And Peter says to them, you are together with, you You are a royal priesthood. You, you, you were not once not my people, but now you are God's people, like together with the sons of Abraham. And he's telling them who they are he, because okay. culture is telling them all kinds of things about who they are. And he tells them to seek the benefit of their communities. He tells them to seek the welfare of their communities, uh, much like the exiles in Babylon were told, and, and right. to seek the welfare of the city, like it says in Jeremiah. And so you can seek social reform, and I would say even when you don't have the avenues, and we do have avenues in, in the democratic United States, we have avenues to, to influence, we can, we can vote, we can do all kinds of things, and but even if you didn't, Scripture is telling you to still seek the benefit of your society. And Paul says in this, you know, to honor certain rulers and to, and, and to win people over, in a sense, in the way that you live your life. So I think that the tension then, Scripture speaks to that, and it says, we are to seek reform. But in their context... It wasn't it wasn't for the sake of having a better community in the sense of, you know, I want a better community so that I can live a better life. It was to seek the kingdom of God so that people literally the knowledge of God would cover the face of the earth. That was their hope. And what I think the distinction is is when we want to seek reform a lot of times it's based in we want something that that serves us. That makes us that makes us more comfortable, and even as Christians, we do that. And even in the name of Jesus, we do that. Where I want to seek something that's going to make me more comfortable, and I'll put the name of Jesus on it because He would want that too. And yet, we're not quite seeking the kingdom. So there's two kinds of reform. Like what kind? What is the goal of of these reforms? Right? Is it to just seek a better society that you think would would make God proud, so to speak? You know. Well, it's to alleviate to put the best spin on it. It's to alleviate oppression. God says, "Care for the oppressed." And there's people who are saying, "Look, we're looking around the society, and we see certain groups of people. Just use biblical categories: orphans, widows, right. sojourners, yeah, who are who are vulnerable and can be crushed by the system. And we want to do our best to alleviate that. And God said to. Isn't that seeking the kingdom? Isn't that, you know, by grace through faith? Yeah, I think that is. Yeah, yeah. Okay. But I think it's not that simple. I think there's there's different motivations. Right, your depravity's in there also. <gasps> yeah, there's different motivations for reform. And I think, uh, I think Keon was speaking to this in the podcast that you think you're, you think as a, as a, as a, <laughs> As a white person that has white guilt, because I think that's a good phrase to talk about too, is white mm. white guilt. Mm. I think it, I, I put something on the Redeemer pages about this. Um, 
you know, we can act out of white guilt in a way that actually op- further oppresses. It's even worse almost because we think it's helping, but it's actually not. It's hurting, and that's where that book, Help When Helping Hurts, comes from. And Keon was saying this about how, you know, should white people or whatever move into these neighborhoods that are more low income or, you know, uh, you know, they need some help, so to speak. And he's like, well, why don't you learn first? Why don't you start to research and get to know people and and not just move in and think you're going to be the best thing ever. Right. Because you got all these resources and you're a nice person. And I think we do that. We we tend to do that where we just move in and say, hey, I'm a nice person and I've got this gospel and and and, and so I'm going to help everybody. But but see, again, that's that's not that's not how Jesus came to us. He didn't come to us in a way that said, you know, you need a lot of help. So I'm going to I'm going to come and show you I'm going to show you and I'm going to um I've got all these resources, you know, because I'm the creator, and I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to share them with you in this direct way. He obviously does that, but he does it through becoming one of us, for one, and dying. He gave of himself. He, he, he died mm, in the flesh, but also in his will. This is something we don't oh. talk about, but his active obedience, not just his passive obedience, which oh, is dude, death on the cross. too technical here. But his active obedience to the Father's will. See, I think that part of our issue, especially as a majority culture, is we, ide- we, we equate God and our culture of being able to just freely do things. So I, that's too, that's that's I, that's that needs to be explained. What I mean is, we we can equate the goodness of God, the blessing of God, with our freedoms. And I'm not saying God doesn't have freedoms and doesn't give freedoms, but but I think it get it. What I'm saying is is God, when He shows us and demonstrates love, is that He gives up freedoms. He gives of himself. He gives up those things to bring change. He doesn't enforce the freedoms that he has. And this is complicated because he actually is doing that, but not in the way we would do it. He, he's giving up in order to give. In, where we would just take all the resources we have and say, hey, I'm going to share these with you. But the problem is that circumvents death on our part. How? Isn't, that, isn't the giving of your resources a death? It is in a way. It is in a way. But you're saying it's in, a, it's in an easy way, which is why, okay, okay. You're talking about it's not real incarnation, like yeah. actual, right. which is so, why it fails a lot of times because there maintains a, a distance when you, when you engage with people and you, and you just, you, you just want to use external resources, but you're not really willing to die to your preferences, really willing to die right. to your perspective, really willing to die maybe to your time and you're being insulted. No, and I'll draw question, a line there. And the question is why? Why don't we want to die to those things? I think it's because we think they are our life. Yes. They are our life source. Right. They are our identity. Right. And we say, this is what I'm saying, we equate the freedoms, those things, with God. And so if we, if we were to give those up, we'd be giving up God. And God says, that's what I want you to do because they're not me, they're an idol. 
Yeah. They're not me. You are to give up the things that you so closely cherish and have put my name on. This is the way the prophets talk to Israel, right? You think that you're worshiping me, but I'm not here. I'm not there. I hear your loud banging and your singing, but it's not for me. And they're like, what are you talking about? This is, we're in the temple. We're doing the thing. And he's like, but it's not for me. This is for you. And how do I know that? Because ultimately you forsake the main thing, which is to love me and to love your neighbor and to care for the widow, to care for the oppressed. And I think that what happens is, in this question of tension, is uh, the tension of, of reforming the system or letting it be and just relying on God. And I, don't, I think that is a tension that will be there, but what we have to at least come to is a point where we acknowledge and identify, what am I holding on to or what am I wanting to reform so that I can hold on to this thing that isn't, it isn't good. It's not actually the kingdom of God. It's actually just me and, and my preferences. Boy, that's really, yeah, people need revelation for that. I mean, you're talking about, you're basically saying we, we need to see where we're deceived. Right. Which is true. Because Jesus, he even, I feel like he's getting at this, this heart level of, you can do a lot of things. You can go and, um, and this is where I think social justice reform gets off is that it it's saying look jesus said to go give up all your stuff and live in community basically and it's like well maybe but that's that is still in my words it's it's still living on the level of the flesh it's still living on this level of the the tangible and the material where if we just do the right thing with our stuff then then that will change society. If I can just not have as many dollars in my bank account, somehow magically, you know, I'm going to help the world because I don't have to have money. And Jesus doesn't say that. He says it's about the kingdom of God. Do you follow the will of the Father? And that will manifest, I, I think, in certain ways, but we can't get off onto this focus on the reform itself and on the things that that reform brings um, because it's not the point and that's I'm not saying don't don't seek reform I'm saying on the level of the heart what is your motivation and how how what is your goal your desire in it and that's a that is that's revelation we have to have yeah, that's good because, and let me just sum that. And I think it's be very difficult to sort that out in an ancient person's heart. But uh, back to the depravity issue: depravity enters uh, poor neighborhoods, it enters systems of power, and it also enters systems of reform. Um, so where's that? You know, you're not the sinless just because you're the SJW or the reformer or whatever doesn't mean that you are pure of uh, heart and. Uh, so reform the reformers, you know, like you're, you're basically right. giving caution to, uh, to, to people, and I think that's that's right and that's fair. It can become a very uh, self-justifying way to absolve yourself. You know, you were talking about the other way how we justify ourselves. Yeah. We justify ourselves um, sometimes by well, like you said, the the uh, the religious teacher, the lawyer, right. He wanted to justify himself to avoid helping the guy. But sometimes people help people to justify themselves to avoid something else. 
Exactly. Right? That's not, but that's not the way this is framed right now. If you are involved in, re, in the reforms, then that's the good thing. Like, not necessarily, you know? That's why, right. that's why in that passage in Isaiah 24, he says, as with the slave, as with the master, as with the uh, maiden, as with her mistress. Like, they all have some kind of nefarious. Right. A potentially nefarious degree of self-interest, death avoidance, self-justification going on. But it's harder to see. It's easy to see when you are robbing a bank. It's not easy to see when you are uh, yeah. fighting for social reform. And here's the other thing. It doesn't work. When reform is based off of other motives that aren't ultimately God and his kingdom and his beauty, his goodness... It, they don't work long term. You you will burn out, or you will, you will build start, something. Different. You will start to operate in a way contrary to what you said you valued, because your flesh will only go so far. Mm. And that's what I mean by white guilt. Guilt will only get you so far. Mm. We don't need white people that feel guilty and want to do something quickly to make a situation better. We need people that are convinced of the gospel. And, and are, are following in obedience because they believe he's that good, that God is that beautiful, and they desire that beauty to be shown to the, to the world, that will, it's like, it's like we talk about missions, right? Missions exist because worship doesn't. So, well, I say it exists because worship does. Right, right. Well, that's, but that's all right, all right, two sides right. of the same coin, right? Like, we are saying that the ultimate goal and, and motive is the worship of God, because we love who he is. Okay, okay, let me ask you this. So what are the signs? So, okay, this is all good and well, but what are the signs that were operating more out of the flesh than the kingdom? I'm going to suggest one is that, the, that is that the kingdom, which I would say not just good stuff happening, but bowing the knee to Jesus is not expanding. Is that fair? Is that too harsh? If you spent 30 years in social justice reform and nobody like saw that what you see, that you delight in the king? No, then you don't. You're doing something else. Yeah, you don't. I, I've been around a lot of friends over the years that uh, they're not even believers anymore because they gave their heart to social justice, not to Jesus. They gave their heart to a cause. And I'm telling you, I'm sure they get angry at people. See, they act contrary to what they say is good. We see this all the time in our own hearts to a degree. It only goes so far. And so what will sustain us? What will give us beyond our own self-hypocrisy? What is going to keep going? And that is, it's the kingdom of God. It's his glory. It will not return void. It, it, it is, his word is like a hammer that breaks the rock and a fire that burns the chaff in Jeremiah. His word goes forth, and it doesn't return void. And if we go in that, like John Perkins says, it's going to take God to do this, right? Mm. That will endure. And I think there's, there's common grace. So we see aspects of that even within secular movements, so I think common grace is an important thing to consider. We do see God's kingdom advance through secular means. We, th- we even see God's kingdom advance through police departments, right? Well, it depends on what you mean by kingdom. If you mean so good things happening. Manifesting aspects of the nature of the God. The law of God, okay. And the law of God sure. and his goodness. And, 
Now it, but that's different than that's different than people knowing God, right? Celebrating Him, bowing the knee, worshiping like yeah. and worshiping Him, and that is our ultimate desire. Not that just we have good things, but that we have people that see the source of that good thing, and that's I think that's 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 why we can both celebrate social reform to some degree, but also keep saying, but we need. We need gospel transformation. We need to see the source of all these things that we point to. So let me give another couple hints, so clues that maybe you're you're not doing this in, in and for the kingdom. One is the absence of the talk of it. That doesn't mean every conversation has to be, uh, you know, Jesus, Jesus, Jesus. But, like, just watch yourself. Watch what you're promoting, what you're saying. Like, again, it's been a year, five years, ten years, like, People know that why yeah. you're doing this. I know you say why you're doing it, but would people know that? So that would be one. Another one would be, uh, um, oh crap, what was it? I forget. Another indictment. So it was the absence of of their, their you know, people being an actual transformation. People transferring from the domain of darkness to the kingdom of light, right? Like conversion, like that. The absence of that. The absence of the preaching of the word. Oh, and here's the other one. I, I love what you said the other day. Jesus pisses everybody off, and like, <laughs> right? Now our goal isn't to piss everybody off, but if we are saying the things that Jesus is saying, you're going to piss people off on both camps. If you're only pushing on one camp, you might be off, right? You should you should piss off conservatives, and you should piss piss off liberals. You should be able to give a strong critique to the um, to the police department, and you should be able to give a strong yeah. critique to the welfare de- department and critical race theory. Like, you should be able yeah. to. Every, every, Everybody should be <laughs> have yeah. issue with what the perspective you're offering, right? Because you're an iconoclast. So what I mean is, oh. you're, you're you're breaking down idols. <coughs> you are you're going to make everybody mad because you're touching everybody's oh. idol. The ki- that's what God does, right? I mean, there's only Him to be worshipped. So anything else is going to be touched and destroyed by him so if you're following him you're going to touch everybody's idols and you're going to say that's got to go and they're going to be like no that that needs to stay you're going to say no it needs to go yeah but i thought you were on our side you voted for trump it doesn't matter who i voted for you heard it here folks it doesn't matter who i voted for if i'm following the kingdom of god you can vote for joe biden you can vote for donald trump can we just acknowledge that oh gosh can we just acknowledge this oh gosh because it's a country that is subordinate to the kingdom of god it's not the kingdom it's subordinate to him and he doesn't god doesn't say thou shalt vote for a republican (laughs) he doesn't say that I'm sorry, but that's equating that's equating the freedoms that you have with God. And we've already talked. That's not true. The freedoms that you want are not necessarily the freedoms that God gives. And you may be voting in a, in a way just to preserve your own kingdom, no matter who you're voting for. That might be your motive. Have you considered that? Have you considered your heart in this instead of just voting like your parents voted? Oh, gosh. Or, or against them. Or against them because screw my parents. They were such lousy, conservative, homeschool parents. And I'm going to screw them over by voting for Joe Biden. Wow, that's really, wow, good for you. Way to go get them. <laughs> Hold on. Speaking of Joe Biden, dude, did, did you see the Babylon Bee today? <laughs> no. 
protesters tear down uh, topple Joe Biden because they thought he was an old racist statue. <laughs> Woo! Oh, Babylon B, man. Oh, that was killer, man. <laughs> I had a picture of Joe Biden with ropes around him. They're just like pulling him over. Man, those yeah, guys. I mean, it... <laughs> yeah, they they get they killing yeah, it. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Now they push on the left way more than they do on the right. Yeah, they're they showing their cards. They do. Um, so but does that mean? I, just, I think that's so important. Like we gotta see through the the baloney here. Like it's just <laughs> that's our new church mission statement. <laughs> it's actually kind of easy to see through baloney. Have you ever tried that? <laughs> well, how thin? You know, it depends on how thin you slice it. Oh man. Oh Joe, you got going, man. I love it. Going. That's why. I, hey, don't I just, worry. You're preaching this Sunday, dude. Don't no, don't worry yourself wear that out. <laughs> and I, 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 I really feel this tension. I mean, I'm not. I'm not. I haven't figured everything out clearly, but I mean, I'm still wearing a Cubs hat. But I, I just. Uh, I mean, this is just silliness. We got to get. Let's talk about the real issues. Let's yeah. talk about the kingdom of God in in a way that's not polarizing in these. Political, oh. political ways. Yes, polarizing. Yeah, yes, yeah, yeah, but yeah. not in these political ways. Like it's even, it's even more polarizing than we think, right? It's like, dang, <laughs> you thought it was just a political issue. This is a, this is an everything issue. Does that mean you don't want me to read these police reforms? <laughs> no, go ahead. Now, well, can I say one more thing? Yeah. <laughs> so there's different motivations why we seek reform. And I've 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 been hitting on some of the more selfish or you know is this protecting my own kingdom? I do think that especially in our context, in my context, more and um, which is more conservative, more more of a white you know background, all this. The 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 goal can be simply to clear our conscience, and that's again related to this idea of white guilt. As long as I haven't been a bigot and a racist because I have a black friend or because I sympathize with the protesters or, you know, as long as I can do that, I'm not guilty of this bad thing called racism. And my conscience has been cleared, so to speak, before the Lord. Right? He can't accuse me of being racist. Or society racist. can't accuse me. Well, society, but we make it about God. We right? make society and God, yeah, yeah. We yeah. make it in our minds. We're like, well, I really want to please God. So, God, you know I'm not a racist because look what I've done. And I think that that whole premise is off. Like, the goal is not to have a clear conscience. Oh, gosh, the problem is people don't realize they're doing that. The goal isn't to have the clear conscience. The, it's, to, it's to know the Lord. When you have a clear conscience, that's the thing. You, you, if you're uh, in Christ, your justification is, is not whether or not you voted for who or adopted or whatever. Right. It's just like literally it's finished. Right. But we want to we want to self justify, right. and I think as Christian, somewhat more conservatives, again I'm speaking generally there, but I think we tend to that sometimes. Like, well, I I you know I'm I'm a nice guy, you know I I talk to the to those to those hoodlums. I make eye contact with black folks in the store. Right, like uh, you know, I listen to Tony Evans, you mm. know. 
I like Tony Evans. I had Keon Carter on the podcast. Right? And I'm just saying, like, come on. We got to be honest. Am I the only one? Am yeah. I the only one that does this? Yeah. I don't think so. Oh. We all do this. We all justify. We all like, yeah, you know, I'm pretty good. I worked at Johnson Elementary, you know? I didn't and that's why that. I want to see... You know, I didn't do it yesterday, but I felt on Saturday a, a, an impulse to like have confession at church and just the way this, the direction of the sermon went I just I just pulled out of it but um, there is a lot of value in that in confession and an acknowledgement and that's where I see when I read social media there's a lot of accusation and a lot of self-righteousness and I think one of the marks of the church uh, needs to be confession here's where I self-justify here's where I'm you know all the things you were just saying like to be able to acknowledge that and say that that's a powerful thing that's not um it's iconoclastic right it's not a it's not yeah. the way of the world everybody's going to accuse you know but to to be a people who uh just not a, just acknowledge that there's depravity in systems but in us and to be able to identify where that's manifesting and speak it speak it to the world speak it to your brother speak it to your pastor your group leader your wife like there's just not enough of that. Right. And uh, confession. Man, that that's a different... But, you know, then we just use that. Then we'll just confess on right. Facebook and see how <laughs> justified we are because we confess. And geez, We can't but do see, anything. We, at some point, we have to trust that the true transformation of the Spirit of God will change the way you act. It will change the way you interact. It will change who you are. And we trust that. And we don't control it. He does. But we do act in it. And we do confess. And we do come to him humbly and asking for help. And we trusting he will bring change. You know, he will. Yeah, we just need a freaking revival. And here's the other thing. Like, we want, we want to do good things. But I think as individualists, we over... We, over, we, we are too optimistic about how able we are to just do something good. This is we, very discouraging, Joe. We can, <laughs> we can, like, I'm going to give you an example, a story in my neighborhood. Where, we're in our neighborhood because we believe... Which that, is Wellington Heights. Which is Wellington Heights, where Keon lives and starting a church. And we're, we have desired for years to be um, agents of change, so to speak, in that neighborhood. And I've gone up and down in my heart about it. Sometimes I'm like, whatever. Other days I'm like, well, I'm going to change everything because I'm so nice. And then the rest, you know, our, you're not actually not that nice. All the other day, yeah. All the other days, um, I mean, somewhere in there. Well, these these three young teenagers, they're black kids, probably 17, something like that. They walk through our our, our driveway because it connects first or the street, Grand Avenue, and their alley. So a lot of people can walk through there, and they just think it's like. I guess they just think it's fine, and because they don't believe in private they, property. They actually asked Steph. They, I wasn't out there. They asked Steph, "Can we walk through?" She oh. had said yes earlier. Well, then I came outside, and they came through again. And I, we're like, "Hey, what's up?" Well, they go around. The, this is the last year, two years ago, and they go around the corner, and then they throw their pop bottles at us, just at the house oh, from behind the garage. That, dude. That's I mean, just totally looking for trouble, right? Nothing else better to do. Just a nice lazy summer day. Let's call it cops. So. At first, I'm like, what the heck? Like, did I say something? Did I do something wrong? Because in my culture, that's the way it works, right? It's like, you, gotta, you must have said something. You know, you must have done something, and then they reacted. Of course, that's, for these guys, 
You know about this because you did stuff like that. You just want to start trouble. You just want to start trouble. It has nothing to do with me. Except it did because I am a white man. Clearly, they... This is... And I've talked to other um, friends about this. Like, they have... They have... these, These young guys have numerous experiences that I haven't had that inform how they view me that I don't, I'm not aware of. I can want to be nice to them and think that my niceness and my presence in this community is automatically going to change them and mm. make them like me and make them have hope or something. But I can't, I can't overcome the years and years that they have been, that they have observed other people like me that they deem as the enemy or that it's the oppressor or whatever. So what do I do? I get defensive. I actually, I'm going to play out what they probably already assume about me. (laughs) I go after them. Ah. They're off my property, but I still go after them. I follow them through the park across the other street and I'm like, guys, guys, you know, what's going on? You know, of course we can just talk about this, right? Because that's what I would do in my culture. I'd just talk it out, you know, because everybody's going to be reasonable, right? Again, I have no idea. Like, I'm not thinking through, how do I come off? I'm chasing them down. What are they thinking right now? They're thinking, hell no, man, I'm not dealing with this guy. Like, This is a conflict. These are signs of conflict. Signs of conflict. And one of them comes behind me and decks me in the face, knocks me down, and they run away. And I'm like, oh my gosh, what did I do? What, what's going on here, right? And what's going on is, because I, I had some good conversations with some, some other neighbors about this incident, and they were really helpful. And one of them's like, Joe, why'd you go after them? You know, they're not on your property. Let them go. Let them go. Like, the, you're not going to be able to talk to them and reason with them and figure out their life and help them and be such a nice guy. There's so many other issues at play that will take time, that will take more effort on my part, more sacrifice on my part to learn and understand what is what their life is like so that I can better, better address the situation than simply just doing it on my terms, right? So my point of that story is, even in all our wanting to do good, there are, there are other factors at play that we don't control. Mm. And how are we going to react when it doesn't work out the way we wanted to? When, when people don't respond the way we wanted them to? You know, giving people money is another example. I gave that guy 100 bucks and he just ran off with it. You know, he never came back. He never, I gave him my email, you know. So, of course he ran off, man. He doesn't, this, he doesn't operate on your terms. What are you going to do about it? You can either just get upset and keep giving people money and make yourself feel better that you gave them money, or you can you can engage in a deeper level process that will take more time, more of your resources, more of death to yourself, and it may never even pay the dividends that you want it to pay. That, to me, is where we start to get into the, into the gospel and into seeing real change, both on our own level and then in the society around us but it's painful and it's hard and it's confusing and it's challenging and it's messy and it you know 
And by the way, I had worked with at-risk youth for years before that encounter. I had, I had sat with men, their, or young men their age, literally over a year talking every week, men in this, young men in the same situation probably, about, hey man, how's it going? Tell me about your day. Tell me about how school was. Tell me about your girlfriend. Tell me about, and just listening to those young guys. This was in Minneapolis. I had spent years in the school system. I, it's not like I'd never met right. a 17-year-old black kid and yet I still, I still came with my assumptions. I still came with my defense in yep. this. I still came with, how dare you throw a bottle at my house? That's how I still reacted, guys. Come on, we got work to do. We That's got- what uh, per- Perkins, you know, in that quote I read on Sunday, you see the false folks will get that this week, where he said, God gave me the love necessary to do the work. Yeah. Because you can't. You can't do this. So when you're, when I was saying you're a pessimist, you're a pessimist when it comes to human ability, and that's where we really need to learn to what does it look like to be empowered by God and by His Spirit, because uh, humanism doesn't do it. And uh, yeah, maybe we'll change a couple things, but is that what we're here for? To, I guess, ride common grace out and change a couple things. Like, I want more than that, you know. And uh, yeah, so. It's good. Um, well, this went a couple different directions than I expected. Good stuff, though. Uh, yeah, I'm not going to get back into this. This stuff's online. You can go uh, uh, just research uh, BLM, as in Black Lives Matter priorities, Cedar Rapids, Iowa, and you can read their demands. Again, those can be debated. People can sit down, and they will, hopefully, and say, hey, should we this? Should we that? And here's the uh, pros and cons of tightening here and loosening here. And um I don't, I don't have the answers. But again, this is all kind of sorting back to the original question of can we imagine balance? Yeah, the answer is no. Can we imagine a better balance You know, at different points in history, at different times and places? Sure. And uh, if you feel like you uh, can be a helpful part of that conversation, um, that's good. And uh, But also encourage you to take heart some of the deeper things that, that Joe particularly and we've been talking about and just ask for revelation. You know, we don't want to... Uh, just be clanging cymbals and um, building sandcastles, right? We want to be walking with God, hearing God, building the kingdom. So, um, good. I don't have a lot else here. I'm going to do more of these. I've got I've got questions for days. Um, so, keep this stuff coming out. I'll keep little video clips coming out. And uh, if you have someone you think should be a guest on the podcast or if you have some some insight that you think would be helpful let me know i'd love to have you on joe any final rebukes exhortations <laughs> no i hope it's helpful i mean yeah. yeah people at least know pastor joe a little bit more here um no i think it's helpful so good well thanks to all of you for tuning in again thanks joe for being here and uh we'll see you all soon bye